word of the Lord. Amen. Sometimes you encounter challenges when, when a Last week, I spoke a, a message where I titled it, uh, Pathways to a Blessed Life. And we looked at uh, Genesis chapter 12, that's what we read from, and looking at the life of Abraham. Uh, so, Abraham is really the prototype. Uh, he, he is a prototype of, of a blessed man. Abraham uh, lived before the law. And Abraham is the kind of guy that God says that God called him a friend. So, God, that God made promises. You know, the reason... The Israelites are blessed is because of Abraham. And so if you want to live a blessed life, we've got to look at the life of Abraham and learn one or two things from his life. And so, and, and I, there was a lot in my heart concerning this message, and I, and I felt that the Lord had laid it on my heart maybe for a week or two. But even as I was starting and preparing, more things just started unfolding and unfolding, and I knew if I had even attempted to complete it last week, we would have had church for three or four days, right? And so you just want to thank me right now for not doing that to you. But we're going to come there a little bit. Go to Genesis chapter 12. And, 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 and Abraham, what, what makes him so unique is, well, he's a man of covenant. A man, a man of covenant. In fact, he's called in the Bible the father of faith, the father of those who believe, and, 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 and all the blessings that you see, like I said earlier, with the Israelites, flowed because of the covenant that God had put on Abraham, and his blessing was very, very well-rounded. He wasn't just one guy that is so strong and awesome in one area, and then. Some other part of his life is completely in shambles. No, God had really, uh, had a really well-rounded blessing around his life. And in Galatians chapter 3, we don't have to go there, is, uh, it, Paul talks about how we are blessed, we are partakers of Abraham's blessing. So before uh, we, we read, I want to pray, okay? I want to pray, and then we'll, we'll read a few uh, verses here. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We ask in the name, in your name, God, that you will open our eyes to see, our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I ask today, God, that you would use uh, me to, 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 to bring forth your word, O oh God, without uh, adding to it or taking away from it, O oh God. And I ask that you prepare every heart for every person that's standing here, uh, that's sitting here today, God, that, uh, that whatever you have for them today, that they will walk out of this place with it a hundredfold, O oh God. Let None of us come out empty, O oh God, but let us uh, um, receive the fullness of what you had intended for us today, uh, uh, July 7, 2019. We thank you for the blessing you ordained for this day, and our hearts are conditioned today to receive it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So I'm going to ask you to stand for a moment. I'm going to read the word. And the second, so so we, and I'm not gonna recount last week's message or some of the thoughts that I had last week as much of, as I have already. But one thing that I, I noticed in you, or you will notice, or I will notice, if you go to Abraham's life, some of the attributes, one of the attributes that really stood out with him, is that a man who trusted God. Secondly, he also was a person who walked in obedience to God. And thirdly, he was eager to follow God's will in his life. And those things were almost recipes in his life that created this atmosphere. In the middle of chaos and confusion, this one man stood out. The other thing I noticed that's very telling, and that's what I'm going to speak about today, is Abraham somehow, some way, 
was a man who built altars for God. And very early on when he's introducing the scripture, he's building altars for the Lord. And that's what our message today is, be altar builders. Genesis 12, 19, uh, 12 7, 7 through 9. He says, then, Abraham, uh, then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and he dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah, Asishem. At that time, the Canaanites were in that land. From there, he went towards the hills of the east of Bethel and he pitched a tent there. In, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the, on the east. There, what did he do? He built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards Negev. You keep reading, you see that Abraham built an altar. Today I'm going to speak to, to you about building altars around your life. Amen. Building altars around your life. As we start, I want to just take a moment right now. Have you turn around, shake a hand or two, say something nice and encouraging to someone, and then we'll get back to the scripture. Right, so, so this was after what I just read, this portion was after God had first appeared to Abraham and he had told him all these things that he intended to do with his life. Okay, he, and, and, and one of these things God he says, God says that, and that came after Abraham had taken one of those monumental steps of obedience in his life. In chapter 12 starts with the Lord appeared to Abraham and he told Abraham, I want you to go, leave your country, leave your people, leave the, the land that you already know, the land of your fathers, and go to a place that I will show you. And then as, as, as Abraham listens and, and ingests what the Lord's saying to him, no complaint. I said, God, what's the street address specifically? You know, I just want to know so I don't get lost. I don't take the wrong exit. No. He says, Abraham the next morning gathered everything he had, everything he owned. He took his family and he started going on a journey, not knowing, the Bible says, not knowing where he was going. Now, I want to just make a very bold statement right now. There is nothing wrong with not knowing where you're going as long as the Lord is going with you. Because sometimes people say, oh, well, if you don't know where you're going, you, they sometimes don't have the answer for about tomorrow. We try to figure out everything, and sometimes we don't know because what you need to know is that, is God with me or without me? Moses even stood one time and said, God, I'm not going to even take one step unless you've assured me that you're with me. 
So as long as the presence of God is with me, even if I don't see the full picture of the direction that I'm going, it's okay. That's why you hear statements. It's also awesome in scripture. You see things like David crying out in Psalm 23, saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He says, the Lord will never leave us. The Lord will never forsake us. So, so that's the assurance and the confidence that we have because there are times in your life you will come where you don't know the answer. You could be the smartest man among us, but you will encounter times in your life when you're thinking, am I really making the right move? Should I be taking this job? Should I be turning it on? Should I be opening up this business? Should I be, oh, did I make a mistake 10 years ago? How would my life look? That's when Jesus says, take those worries, take those burdens, put it at the foot of the cross, and leave it in the hands of the Lord. You are safest when you are where God wants you to be. So Abraham is going not knowing that his life would be one of those where he won't really settle in one place for a long time. But in the different points of his life as he went about, sometimes circling around and coming back to the same spot, God will teach him, God will grow him, the relationship, you can see the relationship with him and God will increase and increase. Now, I have good news for you. Because when you think about the life of Abraham, sometimes it's intimidating when a guy like Apostle Paul comes in and says, hey, because we are in Christ and we're people of faith, then we are blessed with the blessings of Abraham. You read those blessings and say, man, that's too big for me sometimes. And it's intimidating to think, could it be possibly? Or do we put it on the back burner? Even Abraham, the giant of faith, went through the ups and downs of life. He was successful sometimes. He failed sometimes. He was a righteous man, but he was not a perfect man. He sinned sometimes little ways and sometimes big or magnificent sins that are life-altering, that have impact. But yet God never removed the covenant that he had promised on Abraham. But God always brought him back. Even when he messed up to where he was very ashamed of his life, God still remained faithful. Because the Bible says that God is faithful. Even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. It says we run to the Lord like it is, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Now keep reading. If you keep reading the stories over so verse 12 we read, um, when you get to chapter 12, I guess, chapter 13... Abraham had gone in, in where they lived and he wanted to look for green pastures. He had gone up to Egypt and even as they enter Egypt, he had made some mistakes there. Um, he was trying to be a little funny, a little crafty and help God along the way. How many have done that before? It's been too long. I know your promises are true, but you know, Maybe you need a little bit of my help. Oh, yeah. I'm speaking to the choir right now, right? And they got to Egypt. And because he, he started to manipulate his way, 
There were consequences. It didn't affect just him, it affected other people. And that's the danger sometimes, is that we, when we start manipulating things and taking our way instead of God's way, we, we think sometimes that we are only impacting ourselves. But that negativity has, ne has impact on other people that have nothing to do with it. So he goes to Egypt and he messes up, but God's grace is still upon him. God continues to bless Abraham. In fact, in Egypt, he becomes very, very wealthy. And, and they leave Egypt running, parting ways with the Pharaoh at the time. But as he's leaving there, it says, okay, go to verse, um, you can turn your Bibles over, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, so Abraham went up to Egypt to live in Negev with his wife Sarah, everything he had, and Lot with him, went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. From Negev he went from place to place till he came to Bethel. To the place between Bethel and Ai, and, uh, and Ai where his, his tent was, uh, had been there earlier. This is the same altar. And where he had first built an altar. And there Abraham did what? He called on the name of the Lord. Uh, keep going on verse 13. So uh, let, me, let me fill in the gap and then I'll read some more. So, so at this point, his nephew Lot that had accompanied him all over, he had taken up his nephew Lot under his belt. Both Abraham and, and Lot had been so blessed. They had so much more than they ever had. And, 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 and the, materially, they were very, very wealthy. But, uh, but there, some conflict began to happen between uh, Lot's servants and a uh, Abraham's servants. And they just realized, we can't keep living this way much longer. We need to part ways. Because we don't want to hurt our relationship. Because our relationship is more important than our things, right? So they decide to go out their separate ways. And so Abraham is starting a new chapter without his nephew Lot. So Abraham went up. Uh, he says uh, in verse 14, I pick it up there. He said, then the, the Lord said to Abraham, after he had parted from him, look around where you are. To the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. All the land that you see. I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count them, the, count the dust, then they could count your offspring. Uh, could, 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 then your offspring could be counted. So go walk through the length of the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So verse 18 says, So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there, what did he do? He built an altar for the Lord. At every point in his life, he would build an altar. Now, what's really interesting in this story, and uh, if you look at this, Abraham was not a young dude. He had not just graduated from college with an ambitious uh, um, um, goal and uh, asp ambitious aspirations. He was an old man. He had accomplished just about everything that one would want to accomplish in, li in life. He had been very successful, very wealthy, and, uh, and, and, his high, and, 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 and everything he touched, really at this point, was blessed. But he had a problem in his life. Abraham was getting too old, but he didn't have his own kids. Now, God can be funny that way. This guy started walking with God some time back. And God is speaking 
about kids, about descendants, about all these things that would happen to his children and his children's children. But the clock still keeps ticking. Everything about his life seems to be coming together. I mean, he goes to Egypt, he does well. He goes, he does well. Everything he touches. But this one thing, this elephant is hanging around the room. God keeps speaking children, but he sees none. Don't mess with somebody. He says, God, but what, what about this? So, so what are we talking about? And you don't see Abraham questioning God, although at one point he did say, God, I get all these things that you're promising around my life, but have you noticed? Haven't you noticed yet? Do you know how old I am? I'm getting the senior discount at... Uh, I know the senior say amen. <laughs> being, being experienced is not a bad thing. It's a blessing, by the way. See, God sees the end from the beginning. The Bible says that it's the nature of our God to cause things that are not to look at things that are not as though they are. That's why the righteous walk by faith and not by sight, not by what they see. Because God is not limited by our circumstances and what is tangible. God is creator God who created everything out of nothingness. When he said, let there be, it was. You could be dealing with a diagnosis that they absolutely say that there is no cure. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, yeah, with some things are impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. I was praying with a friend this week that I had that kind of um, uh, situation going on with his wife. And he goes, I know that based on what we've been told and what is known is that there is no cure. And I'm not burying my hand in the sand saying that there is one. But I'm like, God, help my unbelief. Don't let me give up. And, and, and if, if, if it is possible, God, take this cup away from me. But what I'm asking today is not my will, but let your will be done in my life. That is a prayer of faith. That's not a prayer of an acceptance uh, of everything that the enemy is throwing away. No, it's just saying, I'm going to cooperate with your will because I know your will for my life is better than my own desires. But I'm not going to let that make me doubt your ability to reach me where I'm at. Because this hand is too, not too small to reach us. I'm always fascinated, but some of the greatest people of faith in the Bible, they do have some of the most, um, sometimes, uh, some disadvantages that you're thinking, oh my goodness. But I believe the Lord set them all up there for us so that we can have hope. Because if he had blessed Abraham from the onset, and Abraham got everything he had, he had no trials in his life, he had no temptations in his life. He had no failures in his life. He had done everything right according to the book. There was no book in those days. That we will look at his life 
And if you had erred sometime, if you had messed up sometime, if you had failed a time or two, you would look at it and say, that's for them, but not for me. But the Lord is allowing some of these giants of faith that we draw inspiration from, and God doesn't hide even their human failure from us. I believe he allowed that so that you and I, no matter where we are, no matter what we're dealing with, we can still have hope in our heart. Believing if he did it for them, he will do it for me. If he did it in the past, he will do it again. For the, what he did, said yesterday, he's the same consistent God today and tomorrow. That the problems that I, I, I face today, the challenges I encounter today are not unique to, to mankind. As the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, that there is nothing new under the sun. But behold, the Lord makes all things beautiful in his time. Ecclesiastes 3.11 I think this guy is blessed, but he learned very earlier on in his life to build altars for the Lord. There are four different times, um, uh, that, uh, unique altars that you see in the Bible. And I'm going to read all about all of them that Abra were attributed to Abraham building. Now, some of them are referred to more than once um, uh, in different times. But um, I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that he built more altars than what was also recorded. But it, lo it looks like it was a pattern uh, in his life. And what are altars? If we want to be partakers of the, of the blessing of everybody, what, are, what do they represent? Altars represent a place of sacrifice. A place of sacrifice. So, um, uh, and I broke down just three different parts of, the, uh, of what an altar will represent. The first thing is that it, re it represents a place of worship. It's a primary place where God, where the place where God is adored for who he is and what he has done. Only, and, and, and in <clears throat> Abraham acknowledged at every point in his life whether in good times and in bad times, he acknowledged from his blessings flowed from. He built an altar because he dedicated his life fully to the Lord. No. No. He didn't live for himself, he lived for the Lord. Oh, he's dead. Everything he had, Check. he considered Check. the Lord. Check. And so he took time in his life to say, Thank you. No, check, 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 check. Thank you for who you are. And acknowledging check. Um, uh, when we were uh, in Kenya with our family um, uh, in, in June, um, we were out. We, we, on our last week there, we spent uh, a week in a very remote area. We wanted a very quiet, and it was very, very quiet um, uh, place on the beach. In, in, but we went in a very remote area. There was 30 minutes from the closest town. And one of the things that was incredible is that when you sit on the balcony, and we were sitting, staying right on the beach, the darkness at night, when you stand out, the stars were absolutely incredible. I would stand there and look up. You feel like if, if I just jumped a little higher, I might just touch one. You can see the constellations. And it was just so incredible, the, the clarity. You are removed from everything. Because in front of us was the sea. Uh, if you went that way, you would end up, I don't know, maybe in India or someplace like that. 
and um, a long ways, but um, in the back there was nothing near us. And I would often, when the kids are in bed, I would just go out on the deck and I'll just look at the sky. And slowly, without any effort, there'll be a sense of awe of the greatness of our God, of the magnificence of who he is, the magnificence of his creation. And the moment of quietness and acknowledgement that he's so much bigger than anything I could possibly ever imagine in my, with my life. My mind cannot comprehend, even in my best effort, with the highest dose of caffeine, I don't have the sharpness to even begin to say that I understand him. And I think that this great, magnificent creator God loves me. He knows my name. He knows the very hair I have on my head. Very hard to do with mine, maybe some of you. <laughs> and that he says that I have thought about you even before you were conceived in your mother's womb, uh, Jeremiah uh, prophesies. I knew you. Keep on reading Jeremiah, get to 29 where everybody knows the verse. And I know the plans that I have concerning you. There are plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future, and to give you a hope. That magnificent God that created everything, without any resources, but just by his word, he says, let there be an everything formed that did not exist, no matter, nothing, his voice created the universe. This God became personal. He says, I've loved you and I've been trying to send this message to you through the prophets of the Old Testament. I've tried to send this message to you and you're not getting it. I'm trying to tell you how much you mean, that you're unique. You're created in my, I created you in my image. I've been trying to get this message across to you and I'm going to prove to you how much I love you because I'm going to come down and become like one of you. Because you can't even possibly understand me in your best effort. The best knowledge, the best minds in the world put together cannot really quite fathom the greatness of our God. I'm going to bring it right where you are so you get a glimpse of who I am. And Jesus walked this planet just like a human being. God Emmanuel walking on earth just so we can understand God from a relationship standpoint. And it would make the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I can have relationship with him. I tell you that if it doesn't overwhelm your heart, it does mine. And when I really start to think about what that really mean, truly means, I can't help but worship. I can't help 
but praise. I can't help that offer what the Bible says a sacrifice of praise. So in the New Testament, it says we built an altar, and it's not an altar built with human hands, but it's what the Bible says, a living sacrifice. So we offer to the Lord our lives as a living sacrifice unto Him. So that when we come even together in a place of worship like this, we don't have someone telling us, you don't have to have a worship leader encourage you to worship God. Now, we can have the best people, we can have the best musicians and the most anointed worship people, but tell you what, they cannot worship for you, they cannot worship for me. Trust me, you don't want some people singing up there. <laughs> but worship comes from the heart. See, Abraham had not been taught any of this. But inside of his spirit, he knew there was a God who lived. He knew through his history of his forefathers. But at the time that he was being raised up, people were confused. There were weird religions popping up everywhere. Even his own father was a, was a, a priest of weird religions, worshipping idols. But Abraham did not bow to idols. He worshipped the one true God. He built an altar to say, God, I know you are there. God, I give you my life. God, this life I live is not mine. It's not my own. It's for you. And you're the only one that's worthy of my praise. You see, you do not, you exist for God. You and I exist for God. That's why we were created. It wasn't for ourselves, it was for him. And you may, you, you are not created to, to have a good job and to live happily ever after and to get married, have kids, and all those things that we pursue, that life, what's that American dream? The pursuit of happiness. It's all right to pursue happiness. But we are not created. Those things are just added blessings. Those are things that we call gifts. And, and, and sometimes you're given different gifts that another one is given. And there are different blessings that you have that another one is not given. But we were created to, for God and to bring glory to God on earth. That's our purpose on earth, is to glorify God in this planet. To glorify his name. And you will never truly have rest in your life until you find rest in him. Fully surrender and, and, and dedicating everything you have to him. The altar is also a place of testimony. It's a place where the real credit is given to the only one who deserves credit. It's a place where we testify of the Lord. Like I said, there was widespread idolatry going on at the time. In fact... Genesis chapter 11, where Abraham is introduced for the first time, he's introduced towards the end of that chapter. But in chapter 11, if you read at the beginning, it talks about um, uh, the destruction. Uh, of, this was the Tower of Babel. And, and there was the destruction of, um, of people just really getting so into themselves and their own achievement and, um, and completely disregarding God. What's interesting, uh, one, one of the interesting things about the story is that the people, it, it said that at this point in, in history, this is very early in human history, uh, according to the Bible. 
He says, there was only one language being spoken on earth. There was so much unity among the people doing it. And, and, and then they, they, they decided, you know, we've gotten, we've gotten so much success in what we've done. Uh, and and uh, we, we need to keep aspiring for more. There's nothing wrong with aspiring for more. So they decide among themselves that they're going to build an altar. That they don't need God. They, 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 we're going to build an altar. Uh, no, not an altar. A tower. We're going to build a tower that's going to reach to the heaven. Obviously, they didn't have modern day science. So, but according to their own idea, they built this tower. I don't even know how tall it is. I know some people have done research on it. I did not. But they built this tower. And, and as they get on top of it, God would ultimately destroy the tower. And he will confuse their languages. And he says that that's where the languages of the earth were born. Because he scattered them and they were confused. The one understanding what the other person was saying. And, uh, and, and people who could understand each other would gather around and move on uh, onwards. And the, and the nations of the earth were born through that. But uh, the issue was not that they built a tower. The tower means nothing at all. We have towers that are taller than that in, in our day. It's, if you read the story, which I'm not going to go in, I'm just going to paraphrase. You can read it for yourself. Genesis chapter 11. They said, let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves. Amen. And it was the attitude behind that tower, that the building, that was wrong. It wasn't that so much that they built a tower. I visited some time back at uh, the, what you might call it, that Cape Canaveral in Florida. With uh, my, A couple of my kids are very interested in that kind of stuff. And so we were down in Florida and went to Cape Canaveral one time. And it's really fascinating to see what people are able to achieve and how, uh, how they put the man on the moon with a computer that is probably has less power than the cell phone that's in your pocket right now. But it just goes to show you where determination, human minds coming together and, and focus on one thing, what they can do. But one of the side tours was about this, um, I don't know what company it's called now, Alan, uh, the Musk, the South African guy that's built, wanting to go to Mars. What's it? Musk, yeah. So anyway, but I, I was listening to some of the ambitions that they had. And one of the interesting things that I was watching is, it wasn't that they would get to mass, but in it had that same attitude of that we are unstoppable in this. We will do this. Like it was like kind of leaving God out of everything that all that matters on earth is man. And I think man can get to mass because I do believe we were created in the image and in the likeness of God. And, and then there's so much more to what we are capable of than we've ever even We see in Genesis 11 the power of unity and how these guys, when they were unified, they were unstoppable. You know, I think the founders of our countries also knew that. They said, hey, if we're one nation united, then we're good. But as we're divided, it's always going to limit the extent of our achievement. And so Satan always wants people fighting against each other because where there is unity, God commands a blessing. When there's unity in your marriage, when there's unity in the home, when there's unity in the church, where there's unity, God commands a blessing. And so, so, so sometimes, married people, all the married people say amen. 
Because sometimes we fight over the smallest things. I, you know, have you ever find out some of the fights come out of like nothing? I was like, literally, we're fighting over nothing. We agree on the big things and everything, but we I, I, I fight over just nothing. Why do you have to leave your shoe in the middle of the room every single day? And that could take five days to resolve sometimes. It wasn't that huge. It wasn't like magnificent. No, and it was like, but it's like, what well, you owe, and then the you always start. But when you look about the, the spiritual meaning behind it is that Satan always wants that toxic atmosphere of disunity because when couples are unified under God, the blessing of the home is in the heart. The blessing of the Lord is in the home. I mean, if the blessing of the Lord is in the home, the children who live there are blessed. People who visit that home receive a blessing just for being there. So we've got to contend for that and receive the blessing of Abraham. So anyway, I went all that route to just say one simple uh, principle here. That the altar is a place of testimony and it's a place where God is glorified. It's a place where you can build a tower, but don't build the tower for you to make a name for yourself. Build a tower and give credit to God. By God's grace, I am where I am. If it wasn't for the goodness of the Lord, I have no idea what I would have been, where I would be. Remind us like that. When, when you forget, remind yourself. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for my life. Thank you. I know that I am blessed because of you. You've given me the ability to work. You've given me opportunity. You've given me all these things that I know that there are thousands around the world, millions, if you would, around the world that don't have the same opportunity. And for that, I thank you. It's building an altar around your life, Re building an altar around your, uh, your finances, your health. Everything you have that is good, it says that everything good and pleasing comes from the Lord. And so, not only know that in your heart, but build an altar in that God. Take, be intentional about saying these things Amen. to God. So Abraham is hitting those points and he goes, I'm building it on and I'm taking time to say, God, thank you. I know I'm not where I want to be. I, I, I know that uh, I still have aspiration. I still have desires. I still want to conquer mountains. You've put this in my heart. But God, today I stop. And I want to thank you for how far you've brought me through. I want to thank you for where you've taken me. I want to thank you for my life today. I want to thank you that I can, leave, I can breathe. Yeah. I might not be feeling the greatest, but my heart is beating and I can breathe today. The smell of oxygen. Thank you for life, Lord. That's why it says in Psalm 154, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you're breathing right now, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to build an altar in my life every day. Thank you for the breath of life. It's a place of testimony that gives God recognizing who is the blesser. There are many people, everyone in this, on this earth is blessed by God to a degree. There are those who acknowledge it. Because you in your mind say, hey, I acknowledge and I want to give thanks to God. I want to go gather with these people and together with one voice you want to give thanks to the Lord. 
And there are those who don't. We can't do it for them, but you can do it for yourself. And the last thing before we go uh, to communion here is a place, uh, an altar is a place of communion. It's a place where he said, you know, as I read, when he built the altar, you see another phrase that is referenced next to it oftentimes is, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. There he built an altar, and there he called on the name of the Lord. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 says, I'm quoting the different verses. I will put my laws within them, write them in their hearts. That's not what I wanted to do. But I wanted to say one in Jeremiah that talks about that if you call on me, I will answer you. I think it's 31 too. I don't remember where, what verse right now. I need a caffeine after this. <laughs> call on me and I will answer you. Honestly, this is such a, that's a, such an honest conversation because I just had it with my wife in my office. Like, man, I haven't had my coffee this morning because you really need coffee? I was like, no, I don't really need it, but I like it. <laughs> and so I forgot Jeremiah, but it's in Jeremiah, I promise. It says, call on me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things, things that are unknown to you, things that you did not know. Because, you know, sometimes when we go to prayer, we already go with a premeditated thought, so things that we already know of. So you're sitting down, maybe you're praying for your kids. Maybe you're praying for direction and purpose or whatever it is that's going on in your life. And maybe it's just a prayer of worship. But oftentimes we already know some things. But God says when we call on him, he has so much more than we could ever even, we don't even have the capacity to understand with our brain. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit and he gives us an assist if you would. Romans 8 says that, uh, that he, he has given us his spirit, that his spirit helps us also in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought to, but he intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. He says that he that searches the heart understands what the mind of the spirit is, and therefore he makes intercession for us in accordance with of God. And in Romans chapter 8, is, and so God gives us the Holy Spirit because there are some things that we don't even know. And if he would reveal them to us, they will fry us. And he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to be fried something. You could fry chicken, but he doesn't want fried creases around and fried solos around. Because they're so much bigger, they're unknown to us. But he's so faithful to graciously deposit to us what we are capable of digesting. And his grace sustains us through the process. This is why as believers, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit because we don't even have the capacity to pray the will of God all the time. And that's says, I've sent you a helper who helps us to pray in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray. And so when we call on him, we truly can show us great and mighty things, things that are unknown to us. It says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the plans that God has prepared for those who love him. It's a place where we get to know him. It's a place where God deposits back into our hearts the wisdom that we need, the direction that we need, the answers that we are looking for, the peace that we need. 
I remember one, one of the most trying times for me, and I, I've referenced this many times because it was, I, I realized it was a very learning, it was a great learning opportunity for my life. And, and it was at a time where we had uh, quit a job because the, uh, to start a business. But the first year was okay, second year was very tough. And sometimes you ask yourself, God, uh, did I make the right causes? No, you did. Go back to the beginning. And I didn't always get the answers during that, that one season that was very tough. But what I did get is the peace of God in the middle of the trying time. And God will like do something small to show you that no, I'm still with you, so don't doubt. Keep on taking the next step and the next step. And I remember the same principle applying in our trip to Kenya recently. We were driving at night. Um, uh, we were in uh, a town called Malindi, which is in, uh, up in the north coast of Kenya, driving to the city in the coast called Mombasa. We were supposed to leave the next morning, but something happened. We had to leave that night, and we had about one hour to park and leave. So it was late. Roads are always good, and we're driving, and like I told you, we're in the middle of nowhere. So we are driving down to Mombasa before we would go back to Nairobi. It's dark, pitch black. We're in the middle of nowhere, Kenya. Honestly, no street address or anything, just nowhere. Kids are tired, it's hot. You're thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I, I'd pay a million dollars right now to get just a nice bed to lay down. And you're looking around, there is nothing anywhere. We just, you know you gotta keep plowing. So that's when a kid says, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, they don't have rest stops like they do in Iowa. <laughs> so you're trying to think, okay, I don't even know on the other side of the pitch black road what's on there, but you figure it out, you improvise, right? You make things happen. So we make things happen and uh, we open the car, whatever, and um, we get back on the road. We start plowing through the road to Mombasa. Sarah's phone's dead, my phone's dead. The kids' phone, our home phone that the kids use, is the only one that has power to call anybody. But all the people and the contacts we need are not on that phone. A friend of us has booked us an hotel in Mombasa, so when we get there, we, we don't have to worry. So we get to Mombasa. And I go in to look up, and they, that's where the GPS is also in the, on that phone. Because we weren't planning this, and we don't have a charger. Can't find Radio Shack or anything like that. <laughs> Some people didn't get that because they're not too. <laughs> and we've gone down this, uh, the, the road quite a bit, and I realized when we opened the door, I lost our phone, the only working one. I said, I can't find the phone. Sarah was driving at that time. And we looked, it's like I had to have dropped it there. And there were no road marks or anything. And at that time, I was like, man, did the grace of God lift over us now? We, you know, we trace our, our way back. Now we're losing time. In the middle of nowhere, and I'm calling that phone to see. And by the time we get back, she had something, a couple points in her mind that she had seen, like a light somewhere, and there was a little bus stop. And she goes, you know, I think if I see it, I'll recognize it. 
And so we go back by faith. We drove by faith, not by sight. And we get there, and I, this guy on a motorcycle and says, man, you know, I, I think I lost a phone right around here. Have you seen it? He thought I needed a motorcycle ride. When he realized I wasn't a customer, he just took off. <laughs> Kept calling it, and sure enough, in the middle of nowhere, the phone was upside down. If he was right side up, probably one time it was an iPhone. The one time I had called, and that motorcycle could have probably picked it up. And he was right there waiting for us. And God said, hey, it's a tough night, I know. But let me remind you, my hand is still on your life. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And it was just one of those lessons you think sometimes in your life you might be going through something. And the answer is not yet because sometimes the blessings of God are wait because the time is not right yet. But along the way, he has those moments in your life, says, hey, I know it's tough, I get it, I feel it for you, but I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, you're mine. I got you, I got you, I got you. Just take, keep, keep on plowing through, and it's going to be all right. Amen. Did you get something from God this morning? Amen.